The Say Something podcast is brought to you by a moment with Morris.com and blackblueprints.com. That's blackblueprints with a Z.com. I am Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Yes, sir. We are bringing you the newest episode of the Say Something podcast. Say something, say something, say something. That's right. We get together, talk about everything going on in the life out here in the traffic, out here in these streets. In these cold, 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 cold streets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming at you with episode number 95. Booyah, 95. Is that Richard Dent? Richard Dent, yeah. Uh, yeah, yep, 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 Chicago, yep. I'm on my Chicago hype. Richard Dent, 95, keep it live. As always, we like to highlight, you know, somebody news noteworthy in history and politics and education for the culture. Somebody that may not get the shine that, that you know, get left out of the history books or or they get glossed over at times. That it's important that we highlight and that we know about and that we remember. Uh, it is actually uh, Martin Luther King Day today. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, his actual born day was January 15th. So it's it's kind of like Easter. It gets recognized the different day every year. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but it, today is actually uh, Martin Luther King Day. So today you'll see all these posts across the gram and the book. Folks doing it for the snap and for the talk, doing it for the clubhouse. You know, everybody's going to be quoting different speeches and taking clips of this one particular narrative about the way that he lived. And very rarely is it shown him in his totality. Yeah. When you look at, you know, it's always the, it's strictly the, I have a dream speech mm-hmm. uh, and, and that type of narrative that's said about him. But some people who I wanted to highlight today in regards to Martin Luther, you King, say people, people, kind oh, of a, you about to go uh, do a combo, huh? Yeah, because I, I think these are folks that 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 get overlooked, and today is a great day in the sense of their connection to to the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So number one, she gets accredited at, for a, a lot of what she's done in her life and the way that she positions herself. Number one was his wife was Coretta Scott King. Man, down chick. Yeah, down when Martin passed. She was forty one with four small children. Hmm. And 41 is like very young. Yeah. And with kids, I think they were all four, like under nine, like under 10, something like that. And she was one of those pivotal folks when people talk about ride or die, like when the FBI and CIA try to jam her up to get her original ride or die. Chick. She's like, look, you know, we'll put all Martin was in these streets and we'll put all his business on front street, you know, unless you can kind of work with us. And she was like, not going to be able to do it. <laughs> she said that the movement is, is more important than my marriage. You know, I'm not about to turn on him or whatever he's out there doing in the streets. I'm not going to be the reason why this falls apart. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to find somebody else to roll over on him. Uh, another woman that was definitely involved that doesn't get highlighted a lot was. A, so Martin used to do his speeches like most speakers, if you talk to there are some speakers who write out their speeches and go over it over and over and over again. But you'll find a lot of people who talk. Usually they make kind of footnotes or kind of highlights or particular points that they want to hit on. So Martin had been working on the speech for almost a year in some respect. Okay. And when they finally met at the Capitol and he's sitting there speaking, he was going a completely different direction. And there was a woman that called out to him. And what she said to him 
is what most people remember him for now. So Mahalia Jackson, she's a gospel singer, call her queen of gospel singing. She was the one that yelled out to Martin, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. Martin Luther King was, has given a, a full speech and he was closing. Like he was, he was, he was going a completely different direction. And he felt like that speech wasn't all the way together. But she was the one who screamed out to him. Tell him about the dream from behind the podium. You know, tell him about the dream. And then that's the direction he went into. And then that's that notable speech that that everybody, you know, connects to him. Uh, Some lesser known women that were involved in the movement. One was Dorothy, Dorothy Cotton. That's a name that doesn't get used too much. But she was the national uh, director of education for 12 years attached to the movement. Like. Dorothy, Dorothy Cotton did a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Now there was Joanne Robinson. She was the architect of the Montgomery boycott. Mm-hmm. People usually when they think of it, they think of Rosa Parks for not giving up her seat. But that whole structured boycott that that lasted, you know, all, that year, years and change that drastically shifted the way how seriously American took America took black people like, oh, they serious. Are they yeah. serious, serious. That was the architect of that was Joanne Robinson. And another woman was by the name of Ella Baker. And she organized and guided the leaders that were connected throughout the movement from the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And why I think that highlighting them is important is because, number one, all the work that they directly did with the late Dr. Martin Luther King, who they don't get credited for because you don't do it by yourself. And a lot of times through the civil rights movement, uh, you see the, the men who are put up front, but you don't see the work that a lot of the women that do behind. So I think that as we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King, what he did in his life in its entirety, also highlighting those women that were really the, the vertebrae, the, really the backbone of holding up that movement and hold up structure. So a little noise went time and appreciation for Coretta Scott King, Mahalia Jackson, mm. Dorothea Cotton, Joanne Robinson, and Ella Baker. Yeah, those are some foundational women that they're the reason why a big part of why you've heard of Dr. Martin Luther King. Hey, those women are rock solid. And to be honest with you, they do not get represented enough not in enough. our um history. I think they're overshadowed by um, you know, a lot of strong black men. It was a very a lot of powerful black men. But I think that we've had probably some of the most powerful women back then. I mean, a lot of the women now try to put this idea that you know the power stroke came like currently or in the last probably 15 to 20 nah man nah. we had sisters that was rocking like for way real before for real. oprah way before michelle way. back to them no nah. but, but, but yeah because if you look at back in the civil rights era if you look at through the nation of islam at that time period you think of the honorable elijah muhammad you think of malcolm x you know, you'll think of Martin Luther King during the, the, the Christian era. You think of uh, Huey and Bobby when you think about the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. But all those organizations, the bulk were made up of women who were doing a lot of the legwork and a lot of the groundwork. And a lot of that is happening now. But I think yeah. that um, a lot more women get their due now and, and deserving. So yeah. but what I just don't like is when we have this idea of separation. And I don't think that happened back then. Where it was, and it probably did maybe behind the scenes. I don't know because yeah. I wasn't there, but it seemed like everybody was able to hold space. A woman knew her space, a man knew his space, and collectively they moved and navigated. Where now it's almost like if a black woman does something, 
all hail the black women. If a, a black man does something, it's like, oh, who doesn't really matter? <laughs> you <laughs> niggas already have done whatever. You've done more damage and you've done good. So it's almost, I saw something funny when, you know, Stacey Abrams, shout out to Stacey because Stacey's one of those uh, pioneers, right? That's yeah. moving the, the, the matrix, so to speak. Uh, you know, she, of course, was a integral part of moving what we talk about the movement, a part of the of voter suppression in Atlanta and getting the Senate to, to flip and everyone celebrating that folks, instead of just celebrating the fact that not only Stacy did it, it was like, thank you, Stacy. Thank you, black women. Yeah. Thank you, youth. And it's like, so b- black men, ain't had nothing to do with it and anything. And that to me is crazy. It's corny. It, it's div- divisive. It creates that division. And it's like, well, and my thing is always this. Well, if we're so bad, then why do a lot of women groups who organize um, in the name of police brutality and police violence in our community, why step up for black men? Let us just be okay and, you know, let us die where we die or let us just be able Man. to rope that. I mean, and, I don't, and I'm not trying to be too controversial or, or hurt anybody, but this is definitely more truth than you can happen. And we have to say something. So let's say something. I just think that is like you can. You could defend dead black men, but you don't celebrate niggas that are living that niggas are really putting in the work mm. just as much as anybody else. And and instead of focusing on the niggas that ain't doing it, the niggas that are probably wherever the hell they need to be and let yeah. them be there, celebrate the opportunity to say, man, there are black men just like they are black women that's really putting in the work that's, you know, sacrificing, that's risking it all for the liberation of our people don't just make it seem it's black women that have just been called to do all the work and we're just sitting back you know (laughs) having hot dog on the stick just chilling and eating popcorn and and trying to chase down white women that's like far from the truth especially when black women have worked with black strong men (laughs) that ain't nothing clear to the uh you know bourgeois coonish negroes that are just lackadaisical don't care about nothing but weed, money, and flossing, and and all the things that don't matter. There's black men that are strong in the household that are fortifying our community by being examples of fatherhood, being examples of mentorship, being examples of building, and even building with sisters and putting up sisters and putting up brothers in places and positions that are powerful. Like, stop negating and stop taking away from our shine. Like, we don't let you shine. And to me, that's just, it's corny. It's like, okay, I, I get it, but no. don't, you you know what, you hear so many black women always talk about that we're unseen, we're unheard, but when folks utilize platforms to help y'all be seen, to help y'all be heard, how the hell do you shit on them? <laughs> like, after that, you're just going to shit on me just like everybody else? Like, come on, yo, like, that's whack. Yeah, whack 101. I- I think that we have a lot of. um, So first off with that, I think that we have a lot of. Some issues to work out in house that the way that some. Well, well, some. And why I say some. (laughs) There there is a narrative of so much division amongst black men and women. Just like there's a narrative of if you ask non-black people, like how many black people go to jail, you'd ask they would the world. I don't know, like 70 percent of them. You know, like like the the external percent, huh? that, that, that air that all you know, it's a very small percentage of us that are locked up. Now, the the it's 
disproportionate to other groups based upon population. But but most of us are, you know, we're, we're, we're like, most of like us are out in the streets. Most of us are working in school doing something. Most yeah, of just us like it's a very small percentage of us that really marry outside. That, of, that's where I was going next. Yes. The, the next <laughs> narrative and perception is that all these black dudes have non-black women. Man. Where it's, I think it's like right now, 86, 87% of all married black men are married to black women. Say that one more time. Say, listen, break that down, brother. Say it one more time. So they get yeah, like 87% of all married black men. So if, if they're, if they've got a wife, they are married to a black woman. Damn. Niggles married black women. Yeah. yeah it, it's that. just, <laughs> it's just that that percentage of, uh, within, when you go race by group, it's yeah. the largest margin that, that, 13% is a higher margin than every other group. So other groups would be like 92% of Hispanic men or 95% of Asian men. Yeah. But the fact that it's 87% is the largest margin gap. But that's still overwhelmingly, if you get 100 married men, 87 of them are married to black women. It's the, 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 the 13 the small percentage. The 13 dudes yeah. to, the, to the corner are the ones who are married. Now that's 13% who are married to non- black women but also married to black men also married to men mm. so that's not even necessarily heterosexual mm. that, that's just married men so if they went through the ceremony so that those 13 dudes in the corner some of them is married to to, to ling ling some of them is married to maria some of them oh. married to becky <laughs> some of them are married to andre man and then Andre might be black, so you so it's not even necessarily that it, it's an interracial marriage. It's yeah, just, it, it is. It, it's what it is. But he's again, just not married to a black woman. That narrative would be. Yeah, again, all these dudes have non non black mates. Narrative, right? The narrative. Narrative. The, the narrative that none of us grow up with fathers. Yes. <laughs> there's a narrative because we don't take care of our children. Yes, because there's a statistic that shows it's roughly seventy some odd percent of black children who are born are born out of wedlock. So by definition, they're born to a single parent. Yes. So we talk about narrative, clearing it up. There's single, married, divorced, and widowed. <laughs> That's the criteria. Baby mama, baby daddy is not in, in on, on, on the, the the status sheet. But that's our narrative. That's our narrative. But the but the narrative of so if you're not married, she's single. Yes. Now, y'all could have been together for 20 years and have five kids together. Each of those children was born to a single parent. Out of wedlock. Out of wedlock. So narrative. the narrative would be none of us grow up with fathers, but we have a cultural thing that we'll do. People will be together for 25 years and raised up four or five kids, a couple of grandkids, and then get married <laughs> in their 60s. Like, come on, pop. You know, well, you before, need to but, 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 shoot, because we don't, we're not, yeah, we get married by law, but we already married. You know what I'm saying? That's what we think in our mind. We like, we married. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. not I don't need no, I don't need no piece of paper. I don't need no law following me, no yeah, my business. Like, I, you know, I ain't going nowhere. We got these kids, this house, this, this, whatever. But, but statistically, you are born a single, uh, born to a single parent. So, the, but then statistically, they show that actually black males spend more time with their children than every other group in this country. Brother, and I am a example of that narrative. The narrative that they show, the narrative they push, is the narrative as Negroes are not involved with yeah. their black child. Yeah, that's the narrative. So, so even if you're saying, well, man, I got these deadbeat baby daddies, this, that, whatever. And look at this, you know, my coworker or my friend, their situation. 
when you, minutes together, time served, uh, black men spend more time with their children than er, any other group. Now, here's some there's some factors. Every other, any any other group as well as women as well. We uh, I didn't see the, the 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 paperwork on on women. I think women out the number the time spent then they, gun, they gun us down right <laughs> don't yeah, try yeah, to take that credit from above <laughs> especially because you talk about breastfeeding and the time yeah, spent together and nurturing no i don't even think it's close time women to men but amongst men in this country black yes. spend more time with their we children. are number one yeah stop giving us the number one shot for every yeah. other negative thing give so us the, the proper's so the issue i think that we have somewhat in this country is that so opportunities now, black men are the only group in this country that make less than their woman. Mm. So every other group, Latino, Asian, Caucasian, the man makes more than the woman. Hence that. Hence us looking at a lot of women, black women. And I'm saying, excuse me, let me, let me dial that back. Some black women looking for the bag and that bag being pro athletes and entertainers. Right. They're having more of a, a, a moment. And I might just be just throwing something out, but being um, biased in a sense that that's what you perceive because that's what they show us. Or that is what they want the narrative to be that black women are um, since they make more, they want to go ahead with someone that fits their tax bracket. And those who fit their tax brackets are usually entertained as athletes. Yeah, because the gap, if you go. Like I said, the the average. So just this is, of course, there's exceptions and not well. This and that. We're not going on that. Just just the numbers. The average. The average black woman makes more than the average black man, and black women have more advanced degrees than every other group in the country. So black women get more advanced degrees than Asian women, than Caucasian males, like per per group. So if you've got black women who are making more money than the than the black man, and her idea is I only want a man who makes more than me, then that narrative can be like all these black dudes ain't ish because every black woman I know is doing better than the black dudes that are around us. Mm. Well, you're, you're for all the different things systemically that have happened. That's just where we are right now. So y'all are making more, you're getting more advanced degrees. You're making more. If that's the only criteria that you're going to say, he's a good black man or not. If he makes more than me, then that's where I think you see some of the stuff. The guys who do make more, the entertainers and the athletes, are put on a pedestal for being better men mm, because, because they the make more practice. money. Yeah, but it has absolutely nothing to do with with their character and everything. None of that. You just hold them up because they they're they the can, highest prestige. They can provide. Yeah, because they can provide. They can provide, and they can provide better than <laughs> you know. They dude. can get those those Louis and Gucci bags with a with a snap of the finger. Yeah, but JoJo the tire man. I mean, nah. he can love you. Yeah, he can. Jojo I mean, he the Tiger can love you down. He can't take you to Turks and Caicos though. <laughs> that nigga can't pay a bill to save his life though. <laughs> or, or he, he. Okay, so that's, I'm glad you said that. I don't know if you saw the thing we talking about these narratives and stuff about how uh, black men and black women were seeing household money different. Okay. About how black men were seeing it like if I work and you work, then we can knock this out for sure. Whereas black women were saying if I pay for us to be together, then we're roommates. Like if 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 the split is 80, 20, 60, 40, 50, 50, whatever. If I'm paying, then this is not, you're not providing for me. Not providing. Because we're supposed we're, to be providers. Yeah. If we're going in on the bills together. Because the natural cause and effect of a narrative is provider, protector of the black men, right? That's yeah. supposed to be 
in if a household, just, then you ain't got nothing. In every household, the provider and the protector are the man, right? Yeah. So in the same sense is if you can't provide, but you can't protect, um, and then if you can't lay the pipe, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> can't do either or of the three, right? And sometimes one of the three laying the pipe will help you get past the providing and the protecting, depending on what kind of you're dealing with. A lot of overlooking happens in that Um, area. We ain't going to worry about that, baby. I got that. Don't even trip. Um, You have the slice, right, of the pie where you now become expendable. And I think that a lot of times a black man in our society, when we look at all the different narratives, that are created but then we also look at the unfortunate part that we have to own up to as a lot of black males are losing their mind when it comes down to breakups and losing um possibly the best thing that happened in their lives because they are not filling those blanks that women need black women need right because you look at the rise of um you know homicides between um you know when black male in relationships with black males and black females it's it's outrageous it's, i've never i've never seen it this way you know what i mean we've had abuse all throughout but this point of just like i'm going to kill you it also falls into the framework for me is that mental break and that mentality that men have black men have that you're not going to leave me you're not going to be with someone better than me Right. That that's not going to be in my face because I'm not holding um, or being up to par to your standards and the things that you have now evolved in. And I might be stuck or the simple fact that I want to control you because yeah. it's happening younger and younger and younger. And I think that a lot of our division, it, it stems from those things as us seeing these narratives and us seeing the simple fact that there's so much. Uh, divisiveness and there's so much problematic things that kind of play into the relationship part of us building in a way that we should and some of us not understanding the toxicity is not relationship right that love is not abuse right that this way and this idea of partnership yes it should be um you know kind of sprinkled with a lot of love but it also be should be sprinkled with a lot of understanding and understanding that you compliment me you don't complete me like i'm not going to die without you but i i want to be with you because you know you know you were like a pair of earrings that look good on my ears but at the end of the day without (laughs) the earrings you know i'm still going to walk out here and be fly as possible and i think a lot of that shit when you talk about the narrative building with us as a a unit it dilutes the the family structure and it even has us stepping away more often even though we've always done it it steps us away to other folks feeling the grass is going to be green on the other side and that means with black men and black women off top having relationships with other folks and other cultures because we're like man i don't even want to deal with the drama because narratives have been built on the fact that black women are this, they talk too much, they have attitude. Black men are this, they're too needy and they need emotional stability. You know what I'm saying? These are yeah. the narratives. If you think that Latino men can't fly off the handle, My God. or that white men can't get, um, they're the the white man's the original abuser. Well, I'm saying, but if, you, <laughs> but if the thing is, well, black men are emotional, this and that. If you think that 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 Asian men don't get upset, that that white men don't get insecure, the same way if you think that, um white women are just all punks or that Latino women are just going to take, take everything or Asian women ain't never going to speak up. That ain't true too. 
that 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 narrative. Trust me, brother. That, there's that I narrative that oh, he's with her because she'll just put up with anything. Nah, I you can get some cut by a white girl just like you can a black girl. Uh, some Latinos got some fire, and some white women will go hammy. Trust yeah, me. On yeah, that. this this whole narrative that all these other ethnicities are just punks. They're is, simple. Is a false narrative. They're gonna deal with my shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a false narrative. I I think that something we have because we we've, we've created ideas so. This, this phrase I, I always remember is, that I was loved was that uh, the brain only looks for answers to the questions that it's asked. And so if you already have a thought in your head, you're going to go out and find things that support the idea you already have. Hence, yes, the whole Trump isms, the Trump movement oh, and the, the whole, you know, you know, stop the steal and all the narrative that it was created from that ele- the election that we just yeah had. if if you have the idea in your brain all black women have attitudes i'm gonna think all black women got attitudes you will find <laughs> every black woman that fits th- that answers the question you've asked all these black women got attitudes right she's talking back to me she got yeah, attitude there's one there's one there's one all these black dudes are with non-black women See, there's one there. There's so and so over there. There's there's sudden such, such over there. You, the brain will will look for answers to what will only look for answers to the questions that you ask it. So it, when we get these narratives in our head, are you going into it? And this is in any situation when we see stuff on the news, when we something comes flashes on the TV, when we hit, re- see something on the internet, whatever, uh, and it feels like it's validating what we already think. Uh, an important question to ask is when I'm taking in this new information, do I already think I have the answer? Like, do I already believe something and I'm looking for confirmation or am I actually open to seeing what's up? Do, do I just believe that no black dudes raise their kids? Because mm. because if I believe that I'll see every story of a ch- kid that grows up without their dad. If I don't, I'll see I'll drive through and I'll see the dude playing basketball with his son. I'll see the guy, you know, washing the car with his kid. I'll see the guy who's who's sitting there playing with his daughter. I'll see that if I believe it exists. I'll see black married couples if I believe it exists. I'll see, you know, I'll see providing men if it's something I believe it exists. Yeah, but I think sometimes a lot of us want to believe the narratives, right? Because the yeah. narratives are so simple and so easy to adjust because narratives, you don't really necessarily have to do research on it because if your thought is black people are criminals, <laughs> Well, that's what I'm going to feel because if it's in my heart and I've been programmed in by in you know from childhood to believe that, and I've seen it over and over as it plays on the media, and that's why we've always talked about narratives that media spins. Right? Media yeah. was so dangerous, and now we have a different media. We have social media. Yeah. So once upon a time, we had a selective group that would just give us all that we would provide as our narrative, unless you research. Now you have. <laughs> organized uh, 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 mobs and cliques that create that narrative on social media because now there's no um, formation, right? You can get your information from anybody that you feel is um, credible or non-credible, but just fits whatever just your thought process you. is. Yeah, just agree agrees whatever with you think already. Whatever your knowledge base is or agrees with your thoughts, right? Okay, you know, that's why, hence, we have a lot of what America is saying is what, what what we look at um trumpism to be what it is it's not the simple fact that folks have been mesmerized and hypnotized by trump's rhetoric it's because that's how they really felt and all they have had 
is an individual that spices and spikes them up at moments. So that's what they gravitate to because that's what they've already have, um, you know, created in their mind and have already has been their narrative way before Trump hit the plan. And uh, when as Trump hit the plan of, you know, making America great again, I always laugh at folks when they try to put, again, another narrative that the other side spins like America got bad when Trump got into office for years. Absolutely incorrect. America has been um, obnoxious. America has been um, racist. America has been um, vile, foul, terrorist way before, way before Trump even got elected. We are ingrained in that in our history. These so-called forefathers were slave owners, sexual predators. Like, I think people forget when they talk about, you know, Donald Trump, and this is not a Donald Trump moment to try to, um, you know, sway away all of that he's brought to the table. He is only the symptom of the disease. He's not the disease. Yeah, he didn't create it. Nothing was created. on. Nothing was created on his watch. All he did was, um, you know, kind of empower it. Right. And magnify it and and just continue to pour glass on the fire that has already been raging out of control. So let's stop the narrative that America was going through this change of of formalities and Donald Trump came and messed everything up. If anything, I applaud Donald Trump and I applaud him for one reason. I applaud him for allowing us who were thinking a different way who didn't really understand how folks really felt about us how they really feel about us and how um treacherous the government and the system really works because he was so frontline and so obnoxious um in how he approached it and and so outside of what their norm is because they would like us to believe racism is a hidden underground thing he just kind of brought it outside of the underground Fraggle Rock and just put it back on the ground. Like, oh, y'all thought this was over? Like, yeah, what, do you mean? what did y'all think? Like, wait, y'all thought this was, wait, nah, we, we, we still tripping. Like, you know what? We, we white folks are still tripping. We still want our power. We still want our privilege. I got these supremacists all over. I got these supremacists in police stations. I got these supremacists in, 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 um, uh, public office. I got these supremacists, um, that are CEOs. I, this was the best four years of our lives listen because if you are a person that's truly committed to making change there are no longer these surface um idle conversations pretending that the elephant in the room is a cat that's an elephant let's yeah. talk about why this elephant is in this room and you keep on telling me it's a cat so to me like the the narrative that has always been created has been a narrative that does what controls the minds of people so we can navigate the people to do whatever the fur who is a puppeteers in the narrative they want them to do and that for me when you look at trumpism you look at the trumpsters all of the things that they're fighting for and they're dying for they're going to jail for is just the idea of supreme power and privilege and standing on symbolic moments of at least we have a white president that feels the way I feel compared to not understanding y'all still win because Joe Biden is a white guy that probably thinks the way you think, but he's just not going to say it. And the way he's going to do it is by policies and procedures. And this whole idea, this narrative they want to spin is this idea that Trumpism has been the best thing or, or the, the worst thing in America. But in reality, all it did was expose America. And that's just 
Yeah, narrative, I mean, narr- narrative shit is control crazy, dog. Yeah, it's 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 so necessary. You you can't get a hundred strong-willed, strong-minded people will never get anywhere. Wait, say but that one, one strong. We, 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 we peaked that. Say that okay, one time. So I think, I think that might have got, got over some people's heads, bro. So you have one hundred people, okay. and all one hundred people are strong mind, strong willed uh, individuals. You will not get anywhere. But if you have one strong mind, strong willed people, you can lead the other 99. Facts. Because <laughs> so, if you have 100 people who have their own point of view, their own way of doing things, their own procedures, their own thought processes, you'll spend all your time debating, arguing or ignoring one another. But if you've got somebody who's just you got one and let me just create a narrative, let me create a movement, create a thought process and get the other 99 to fall in line. We can go wherever I want to go and do whatever I need to do. And so to get you out of your out of your thought process, whatever you created on your own, I'm just going to plant seeds to fit an idea. I'm going to plant seeds that fit a particular narrative to get you just look in this direction. And you're going the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need you to commit to the idea. I just need you looking this way. And then I'm just going to breadcrumb you all the way to where it is I I need you to go. I want to get laws passed that have to do with um, regulations of specific guns because a certain group of people keep ending up with these specific guns. And I don't want this group of people to have these specific guns. So I'm going to lead a trail of breadcrumbs that lead these people make bad decisions. These people are inherently criminal. These people do these certain things. So now to think that I need to take these types of guns away from these people is an easy sell Mm -hmm. because you've, you've already been, you've already gone down the road of of thinking this. You're you're already here to the same accord to when you say that you need to go to college to be successful. Yes. Another narrative. That's another narrative. (laughs) Right. So, colleges get more money but that doesn't necessarily make you rich or that doesn't make you actually successful if you look at the percentage of people (laughs) who've gone to college who are successful and by meaning of successful this is they they've paid off their student debts they paid off their loan because not necessarily that they make more money than somebody who didn't go to college yeah you may make more money but you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars of debt due so are you really making more money no and then you take the people who are some of the most successful people on the world. You take that number. How many of them are college graduates who have been historically? And then how many people who have been successful who didn't go to college? Statistically, going to college does not equal being more successful. Brother, t- t- tell them. Say that one more time, dog. So if, if you, if you mean, take the number of the richest people and you look at the reason why they're rich, it's it not because, because of they went to college. college. It's not because they went to college. And then you take the people who went to college and how much more they make than the people who didn't go to college versus how much debt they carry to have gone to college. They're not more successful. (laughs) Then you take the people who didn't go to college, their level of success, their debt to income ratio. They're not losing because they didn't go to college. Like college is not the reason why you are or are not somebody. Talk to them. (laughs) 
but but the narrative is say something, brother. <laughs> say something, the brother. narrative is <laughs> your college degree is what's gonna make the difference of you yes. being somebody or not. And, and and the narrative goes into how they advertise it, yeah, how they present it. The first thing I hear, right? What snaps into me, right? You know, what you you hear college, you hear money attached to hey, four years, this is how much you'll make. So you yeah. go to that goal. There's, they give you a, a blueprint, a black blueprint to it. It's like, oh, okay, I'll just do this four years. They don't talk about all the other stretches. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't talk about how one degree doesn't lead you to that success pl- plateau or how you get a degree don't necessarily mean that you're going to get that job in the degree in that field that you you know have trained or you I'm most, just, brother, most people are not working in the field they have a degree in i don't think that people really understand as we sit here and talk um say something with uh jermaine morris and barry axius as we give you more truth than you can handle as we say something about narratives how potentially crucial and critical and how dangerous narratives can be how they spin narratives narratives can be the greatest or the worst thing that you ever dealt with because narratives is a part of what continues to keep lies going or a narrative can be something that is truthful to open up your eyes it all depends on who is navigating that narrative and i don't think that people really understand when black people talk about you talk about MLK Day, you talk about um, you know, Black History Month that's coming pretty soon. You talk about all these things that represent us. When we talk about our own narrative, why we say our own narrative, why it plays a part on our plight. Because when you have a narrative that all we've been is enslaved uh, servants yeah. <laughs> and we've just picked cotton and wait a minute, we did not create the cotton mill you know what i'm saying we we just pick cotton like wait a minute no nah, i don't mean no nah, we create there's no creation right there's no idea and there's no empowerment in the ideas where you hear a narrative being spun that black people were just here getting beat and yeah. black people are stupid black people are ignorant so you buy into that narrative and this narrative continues to be passed on from generation to generation to generation and i don't think people i think people excuse the idea that narratives are not important when narratives have been the only thing that has adjusted us from living in a greater capacity or living in the way that we live. Sometimes foul, sometimes ignorant, sometimes blinded by the narratives that are being pushed and being programmed on us. Yeah, because if you like I said, if you're only looking for for once that seed is planted and you're just looking for for verification, you know, uh, you, you hear it with, with us historically. All the time. There are people who honestly believe that all Africans were just these wild bush individuals with no culture, no society. There are people who honestly believe, no, slavery was the best thing that happened to black people. We gave you we gave you a system. We gave you we, we, we cleaned you up. We took you out the bush. I mean, we gave you Jesus like like we gave you. Like you guys were nothing without us. You just be running around with spears like there weren't whole cultivated situations and cities and, and empires and all that that existed. And there are people who do not believe that because At their all. whole life they've been taught that that black people were just these savages running around in, in, in the Sahara, running around in, in uh, off the Serengeti. We was just out there chasing zebras and, and it took, you know, European colonists to come in and, and to culture us and, and to, 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 to educate us, to, to clean you, us but, up, to make but, us respectable. But do you see how the narrative plays? How oh, does yeah. it play? It plays into what? It plays into yeah. control, right? 
Yeah, because yeah, it, exactly. Then it's like, okay, well, you no, you you guys weren't even human. Y'all were like just a step up on you know on the evolutionary chart, but we we helped civilize you. So if you think about it, yeah. when you talk about all these different negative narratives that have been put on black people, yeah. every time it makes a black person prove, no, 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 that wasn't true, instead of man, I ain't want to hear that shit and just build. Like, ah, oh, man, I don't, you know, whatever you're talking yeah. about. So we're so compelled to prove a point. Nah, I mean, we wasn't that way. I'm going to show you. Why yeah. the hell are we showing a person that's creating the lie and the narrative that only is helpful for their own to keep us suppressed, to keep us in this, this idea that now I have to be in competition with my brother because I need to show these counterparts over here, these pale folks over here. Nah, nah, that ain't, they ain't gonna, they ain't gonna put me in the same category as Jojo. Nah, that ain't yeah. gonna work. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna show them. Nah, man, you're getting played, brother. <laughs> you're getting played, sister. I think part of that goes into, depending upon what you want to do, you, you almost feel compelled to say like, I have to prove, not that you necessarily do, but the feeling, I have to prove that I'm not that because that's what you believe. You already believe that as a black male, I got five baby mamas. I've been in and out of jail. I'm s- selling drugs. Uh, was gang banging. You know, as soon as I walk out, I'm gonna see walk in the parking lot. As soon as I clock out, like you got all these these narratives that you think about me. So now I have to, in my mind, think I have to go so above and beyond, even to the point to where I have to disconnect from the people that you think I'm like. So if I got that cousin who, in a snapshot looks like what you're talking about the way he's dressed maybe the vernacular he uses pants hang a little low he coming in some tims he got this oh you look like who you think i am he looks like who you think i am and even he looks like who you think he is now for all you know this brother's got a bachelor's in accounting he you know he's on the club when he gets off work though he likes to dress comfortable but he looks like the narrative of what you've seen on tv and movies of what a drug dealer looks like of what an irresponsible male looks like so now I have to sit there and separate myself and act like, no, I'm nothing like that. I, I got to completely disconnect from my people so I don't get linked into that narrative. And that's why I think it's really damaging in our community. We try to we dis, try to disconnect from each other to fight against the narrative about us that we didn't create. But by trying to, to show that we're not that we, we, we disconnect from one another. And that just does that just adds the damage done on top of it. Mm. Yeah, you know, and I think like with with women who who deal with that, oh, she she can't be that smart because she's a woman, mm. or she can't lead because she's a woman, or the narrative that women are more emotional than than men. That's a very very false narrative. The narrative that men are logical, women are emotional, right. and that for a man to be emotional, that's some way. Of weakness, uh, a, a weakness or a feminine trait. But in reality, what we're seeing now, more or less for me, is men have more of that emotional. I can't put my thoughts. I can't put my emotions in my way I'm feeling together and I'm more reactionary. So it's like, mm. oh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, that, that's a false narrative of saying that men are just inherently logical and women are just inherently super emotional. Far the from ability the to compartmentalize. And to put stuff in its place and to move forward is the epitome of what women do. Mm-hmm. Putting their own needs on the back when it comes to dealing with children, put guess you know checking their own stuff sometimes, and continuing to deal with us as men. Like 
men would explode. Forget would. Men do explode quicker. Yeah. That kid get on our nerves for three hours, and we ready to start yelling. Everybody go to bed at three. I don't know. Wait, 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 hold on. I, I think for 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 that, I think women do. <laughs> I, think, I think that's no, it. I think uh, how much men and women can take when it comes to levels of frustration and with irritation. Kids, I think it's different. But other uh, things, I, I don't, I don't. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, being a father, think, knowing and seeing it. I, well, I'm saying, I think the, the, the behavior is different. Mm-hmm. I think you, but I'm talking about the point of being frustrated, the point of, I'm sick of this, like expressions of emotion. This idea that we just sit there like a cool, calm chess game, is, is not accurate. That when. You start dealing with work and dealing with life and dealing with stress and dealing with your significant other, dealing with your kids, dealing that that men just stay the course. And and there's no type of of like okay, so I think we have the misconception that because we don't say anything that we're in control. There's a narrative of well cuz I'm not complaining about it that I'm emotionally in check. Mm. and that's not true not at all talking is just an expression of that's one form of expression you leaving is an emotional expression or you not talking you not not talking is the most expression you not coming home is is an emotional expression you doing all these other things we just say oh i may not be at home yelling or i may not be at home doing it but you are still expressing the emotion just a different way yeah. And we'll say that the woman who wants to talk it out, wants to yell it out, what's, she's being emotional. Well, you sitting there getting in your feelings and saying, well, I ain't going home because I don't want to deal with that. It's still being emotional mm-hmm. because that emotion is what's driving your behavior. Mm-hmm. It's just the narrative is because she's more verbal, that she's more emotional. And that's not true. You know, what I mean, that's why I think that we have the, these these narratives that are that are that become damaging because we try to act like dudes don't be in their feelings. Niggas be in a super. And that feelings. is so not the case. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, facts. Let's say something. That is so niggas not be in their feelings, bro. I mean, if if, if niggas wasn't in their feelings, some of the things that we are seeing all around, um, you know, the world, and and just you know, talking to certain men. Right, how they stand up in certain things. Everything doesn't have to be an altercation. Everything doesn't have to be met with aggression. No. You know, you can have a conversation, and the conversation doesn't have to be um, always light. It doesn't always have to be heavy. Sometimes it could it could be a moment of friction. But at the same particular time, if you know your partner, and now what I mean by partner, it could be anybody that you're dealing yeah. with at that particular time, not a partner as in a couple, but you know your partner, and they know who you are. I get I get loud on certain times and folks be like, what are you upset about? I'm not I'm just this is how I, you know, this is how I express. You know what I mean? This is how I am. I, you know, I'm animated. But that's what I used to see in my family. Right. Not my dad and them. His family, his crew used to go at it. And I'm thinking like them niggas is arguing. And it's like, man, them niggas is just talking. Like, oh, oh, OK. So I thought I had to go ahead and jump in for pops. You know what I'm saying? You know, but particular narratives, man, um, you know, I, I just think that we just have to be very careful on how. And I think that our law enforcement, unfortunately, uh, plays that that narrative game very well. Yeah. If you if you walk around with the idea and, and let's work with and because and, I was like to just keep let's keep a baseline first. So it's not targeting a, a particular group of people. It's just like an average everyday individual. 
if you've been told your entire life that short people are angry, anybody who's under five foot one just just is angry. You've been told that your whole life. All short or all, all short people are, are, are angry people. So then you come across a few short people and they were angry because that's what you were looking for. Now, you could have seen other short people, but they didn't hit your radar because you you were looking for anger. You'll walk around thinking that now every every short person you have to deal with, you're expecting anger because the narrative is played out in your brain. So there's a certain behavior you're looking for and anything that looks like that, you're ready to respond. You know, and so we have like when we deal these why these narratives are so important in this country. The narrative about black males is that we're inherently violent and criminal. By by sheer default, it doesn't mean that it, it's your um, that, that that every black dude that every black dude you've passed picked a fight with you. It just means that th- there's a narrative there, so you look for it. You look for fights. Oh, see, that's them on World Star. Mm. See that, that that's that's them on on this 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 and that, and that's what you look for. Well, if you if you've had this narrative your 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 childhood years, your teenage years, and now you go into your adult years, and you take a profession that you then come across these groups of people. So you, if you take a job where you've grown up your entire life hearing a narrative that black males are inherently criminal, inherently violent, and you go into law enforcement with that narrative in your head, that that academy training is not going to deprogram your 20 some odd years of life. It ain't. And in some areas, it will reinforce it. It will. And so now as, as, as a law enforcement officer, you're not, I'm not even calling you a bad person. I'm saying your brain is only answering the questions that you ask it. I think that these black dudes are more likely than not involved in something criminal. So when I see a bunch of black dudes standing around, I'm assuming one of them at least is up to something. I, they're inherently violent. So any type of movement I see, I'm going to take this as a sign of aggression. Yes, sir. White, young white males respect authority. Mm. Young white, no, the narrative. <laughs> yeah, the narrative. The narrative. Right. Because what you saw January yeah. 6th, man, Yeah, but the narrative is, you know, though they respect authority. They respect the military. They, re- they love America. You know, they're, they're, you know, you can find somebody who makes a mistake. White males make mistakes. Black males are criminal. Mm. It, it, it's why a white male is 24 and could commit a crime. And he's just a kid. We don't need to ruin his life off of one bad mistake. Whereas a black male is inherently criminal. So at 16, we try him as an adult mm-hmm. because he knew what he was doing and it was already in him. So with these types of narratives drastically and dramatically affect and hurt and traumatize people because you have to deal with them. And when it pertains to law enforcement, if you're somebody who keeps hearing these narratives all the time growing up, when you're out here in the streets, there was the story of the the officer who was called to the house on a wellness check that that the the family called him because the brother was having an episode and they were telling him. The cops showed up in the front yard. They were telling him he's having a, a, a spell like you don't, don't use your gun. He's just having a spell right now. Like, like he, we just need help with him. And the brother comes out and he's kind of like moving around a lot. And he's kind of stepping towards the cop and the cop tases him at first. 
and the guy's got mental issues and they're yelling like he's 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 got mental issues that like this is he's not a criminal he's not violent there's some confusion going on ultimately the cop ended up shooting him like three four times in the chest in his front yard mm. and the entire time his family's yelled, i told you don't use a gun i told you don't use a gun he's not like he's he's having you know like mental issues but he's not trying to hurt you he don't like he's not on that but if your thought process is this is a black male he's erratic I think he's going to hurt me because they do that. I got to take him down. And then we get stories where there's officer involved shootings mm. and maybe it's not as clear that way. Okay. Where you hear a story about where there was an officer who was hit. The narrative would be he was shot by the suspect. Facts. Then we have stories to come back that with what was it, the Breonna Taylor. Where they said that the that the boyfriend shot the cop, yeah. but then when they came back with the, with the ballistic report, it was like one of the officers ended up hitting him. You know, but but when you first hear about it, the narrative, oh, he must have shot a police officer. And then we have a story that's here locally, yeah, <laughs> where we have uh, a young man that that was involved in that passed died in, in an officer involved shooting, and there seems to be a lot of questions around it. But because of narratives that were already in place, people are already ma making their decisions because their brain is only looking for the answers to the questions that is asked. And people are only looking to connect dots for a conclusion that they've already come to. I know you are a little connected to this way more than me. So I know you got some insight on it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we talk about narratives. Yeah. Um. And when you hear, right, because I'm, you know, working with the family, you know, and uh, the whole thing just doesn't sound right. Right. And you talk about the local sheriff here um, in Sacramento um, has had moments of of, of definitely, uh, you know, questionable, questionable, <laughs> questionable, very, very questionable. And downright, let's just say what it is, man. Um, since we're saying something, I mean, murder, I just I mean, just premeditated murder. And um, the one part about it, the SAC sheriff just recently here in Sacramento were some folk and we don't even know who they are again, narrative building, but you just don't know, um, went to the insurrection January 6th. We as a, of us, a lot of community leadership and organizers have said there is racism and there is white supremacists that will move and navigate freely in our law enforcement systems. And again, the narrative has always been, nah, nah, y'all making things up. That's not true. But helpful, a helpful moment, January 6th, kind of gave us the, the information by design to say, ah, nah, well, those guys weren't actually lying. Yeah. Here they are. Because they were so freely and believing like the turn of America was going to go their way. And now they're seeing like, ah, damn, kind of got some back backlash on it and america's always worked on it we would rather be unseen and and not heard you know what i'm saying so our racism will be unseen we don't need you to tell it to the world because that was a narrative that they could fit back in the day because that's what it was but now it's like this is too much right we got to underground it like fraggle rock so here's the situation young black male 24 two babies uh two girls um gets in a car with his brother <laughs> um Sheriff on Mark cars pull up. They start shooting. The narrative that the sheriff come out with says suspect killed, officer injured. Automatically, you're thinking what? What do you think when you hear that? What do you think? Say again. 
I said, well, yeah. automatically you say officer shot, uh, officer injured, sus- suspect killed. What automatically are you thinking? Yeah, that the cops rolled up on him. He starts shooting at the cops. The cops shoot back and kill him. There we go. So for that being what it is and for that making sense into the logical mind of others, the sheriff know already the sympathy uh, 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 um, you know, play that they're trying to get for the officer because everyone's going to start doing Blue Lives Matter and see the officer and he's a hero and nah, 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 nah. and those those suspects, those suspects because you're playing out the whole idea in your mind because if you're a person uh, of, of that side, you're going to be like, oh, man, see, look at, look, see, the off these guys is losing their mind. How are they shooting at the police? Because, well, the, the, the heightened um, volume of, you know, energy would be that well shit we're standing up and now we're going to shoot back because there is definitely um rage in the streets and there's also a a, a very much uh divide in communities and and police so you would probably not be surprised that guys started taking it on their own hands to go do what they need to do whatever but that's where you're wrong oftentimes we we, we look at um black males in perspective and how we would visualize these hardened black criminals this narrative that is put out there that they would be shooting it out with the cops that don't necessarily happen when you only have a few incidents you know you got um you know the the the, the situation that happened in oakland when four officers got killed with an african-american male had a real shootout with officers and you know those things don't often happen but he was already on a murder case so he wasn't going back even in murder cases, oftentimes when police get behind you and you get that blurb, you may try to run, but usually if they get you surrounded and these young people were surrounded, what ends up happening is, guess what? You give it up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't shoot it out. You give it up. There isn't that many moments in history have black males shot it out with police. The narrative will make you believe that's what we've done, but oftentimes we lay our ass down, live to fight another day, take yeah. my ass to court. Yes, I had a gun. Yes, it was loaded. I might even committed a crime, but I want to go to court. You have to prove that I did the crimes you accused me of. Yeah. So in this moment, whatever the officers felt and whatever they intended, they've painted a picture that dilutes the reality and does not um, combine the truth in their transparency. They're already setting up a cover-up in my idea because when you talk to the brother who i've talked to he said there was no way we could have done anything because by the time i was putting my seatbelt on it was hands hands and they started shooting and because we've seen this narrative play out so many times with law enforcement where others would like to believe that it doesn't there's more times that law enforcement covered up or made it seem that the victim is a suspect, not the suspect's a victim, where they have utilized the narrative to make it seem as individuals that they were trying to arrest did something that made them have to use deadly force. And this is something that's happened more often than you've heard black men shooting at police officers. Yeah. Right? Like these things that you have to understand. So as we sweep through the madness now you have a situation, whether these young men had weapons, whether these young men had committed a crime prior to whatever, everybody is due they day in court. 
you are judged by 12, not carried by six. And sheriff, law enforcement, PD, whatever, all across America, no, they cannot be judge, jury, and executioner. And because we ask for accountability and transparency, and there's just this idea that they are trying to make a wedge into this community building, why would you come out and say something that's totally false? And why is it looking more and more that your officer who got injured got injured by friendly fire? And if it got, if it was friendly fire, why not say it? See, the thing that I often have a problem with when people create narratives that create other narratives that create more confusion, that creates pointing the finger at directions that they shouldn't be pointing it at, and it holds no accountability to the person that fucked up. And usually when things like this happens, you know somebody fucked up. Because yeah. a young black male, because they were driving or they were potential suspects of something else, should not have been killed on the night of January 15th, 2021. Just because officers thought or just because the beautiful phrase a lot, they love to say my life was in danger or all the other shit they used to say. The narrative is being created. And I think we spin these narratives oftentimes to cover up and to not be challenged by what we say and what we do. Yeah. And that narrative, too, of uh, a cop feared for his life or uh, the cop just wanted to get home to his family. I think anybody who uses that as a as a uh, a phrase to defend law enforcement behavior you don't honestly respect law enforcement yes i i don't believe that you you respect them i don't think that you appreciate them because never in your life have you ever said that uh, a military soldier who directly directly went against his orders because he feared for his life would you respect okay he, no we were supposed to go in there what happened man i i i know sarge told me to do this but but I just had to do that because I was afraid I wasn't going to make it home. You call mm-hmm. him a punk and they would and they would discharge that soldier. Facts. And, and <laughs> like, like there, what do you mean? You, you 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 were trained for this. Exactly. Like th- there's a way that you do. There's a protocol. And the sit they say, because so you put everybody else in jeopardy and harm's way because you were afraid that you wouldn't get home to your family. Mm that nobody else's family no another situation none of that that plays in like that's why you don't hear those that's why those two those phrases aren't interchangeable you don't you'll never hear that said about a military soldier he did what he had to do because he was a fearful for his life and he just wanted to get home to his family you don't say that so (laughs) you don't and and for law enforcement officers that means you're saying either a the training is bad because you're not trained to deal with the situation B, uh, they're selfish and self-centered because the only thing that they're caring about is their situation. Or C, they're a coward. Ooh. That's what that phrase means. Wow. Don't say coward. A, he's not properly trained. He or she's not properly trained for the situation. B, they're selfish and self-centered, only thinking about themselves. Or C, they're a straight-up coward. And they made a move because they were terrified in the situation. Mm. That's what that phrase means. Uh, he was tr- cop just trying to get home to the family. Uh, just, <laughs> yeah, we've heard that before, right? <laughs> fearful for my life. That is exact. That is the only three options that that means. Mm-hmm. And so, but the narrative, <laughs> the narrative, that's a justified reason. Yeah. Now think and, about and- those three points. If the, if that's true, I had to shoot this kid 
because either A, I only cared about me getting home, B, they didn't train me well enough to assess what was happening, or I was just a coward and I was scared. And most of them are cowards and they're scared. How is that a justified shooting if that's exactly? And that's why they play out the way they do how they push narratives. It's to justify whatever happens after because Johnny Public is just going to hear what they're going to hear and, you know, tote them as heroes and tote them as they have dangerous jobs. And even the sense of what we saw January 6th, right? Um, You had armed militants, domestic terrorists. Yeah, and people are still trying to call it. It was a peaceful protest. <laughs> the insurrection. What, what, what? That was an insurrection, man. Yeah. Like how much more? And the simple fact that how we're really how are these people even out of jail? <laughs> you know how are these people that stormed this capital even out? And in the moment, then we said, okay, now it's about to be this big um capital uh, attacks on January seventeenth all through the nation. There was a dud. The narrative was pushed that now we have an insurrection that's going to happen everywhere January 17th. And it was a dud because the narrative was created to create the fear. The narrative was created to make more people who have nothing to do. As I call black people, say you have nothing to do with this. Don't show up to show up to get arrested. And then they can really now spin it. You see, it wasn't just the Trumpsters. Everybody have issues. Everybody got issues with the system. Everybody, yeah, everybody got issues with this system. But some of us are going to fight this system for different reasons, not just because of an election, right? And not because of some white, orange-looking cat that just didn't handle his business and just got embarrassed after four years and didn't play his cards right. See, the thing about what I want folks to really understand, Donald Trump could truly be our president again. And I'm yeah, not he, saying that there was four years eligible. Yeah, I mean, and I'm still not saying that there probably wasn't some funny business happening in his diselection 2021, just like there was some funny shit happening in the 2016 election. I believe that all had some type of, um, you know, favorable things that's happened. But yeah. here's the thing that we do know. All Donald Trump had to do is shut his damn mouth and allow the narrative to continue. But what he got caught up into was his own persona, his own character, his own brand, not necessarily the brand of the supremacist, but the brand of look at me, look at I am this big giant. And it got caught up with all the notoriety where that's when it started playing to the ineffectiveness of the system that continue to like to create this blindfolded society that believes that there is no racism, believes that the system does not hold you back, that believes that everybody has opportunity, you just got to keep, keep, keep trying, and that our government isn't ran by corporations and our government is corporate funded. You know what I mean? And so, so... He played himself on many ends because he exposed too much and he kept on talking. So trust me, if he just shut his mouth and didn't do certain things and kind of played a little bit more of the game, we would literally have four more years, four more years. But after this insurrection, and I think that in systems that try to keep a narrative and they know they got authors of the narrative that just continue to write a different page of the book, that's like not tying uh, 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 you know the Dark Knight trilogies together. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's and it's the same producer, the same director. It's like, wait, how the hell did y'all go? Okay, you know, well, just Even the same wow. cast. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, same well, people. Got, it, that's why certain narratives are able to be concentrated because it is the same procedure and the same method. And America's trying to get back to that same method of racism being blind 
instead of racism being seen and racism being heard. So we talk about these narratives, how they shift. It always plays a part in the principles and the things that we ourselves, right, would say something about or we ourselves will be moved about. And that's how I think they spin narratives so much on ourselves. And I think we do it well. But every time we have opportunity, especially with me, with media, you always try to make sure you spin a narrative that makes sense, that people can gravitate to. And it's more truth than folks can handle. But it's honest. Yeah. Yeah. These things that we say about ourselves, that we say about everybody else, what everybody else says about us, it, it, it starts to paint the picture of how we deal with one another and being mindful of checking our own internal dialogue or those own internal narratives. Like, am I just looking to confirm what I already think or am I actually in a position to learn something new? And I think that when we'll find more often than not, we're, we, we're already on this train track of thought. And so we, when we have to get off and, and get, get your free think on and, and to, to try to find new perspectives and see things a little bit differently. And when you acknowledge that something has been false and something has been untrue or, or inaccurate, that you don't just sit on the false narrative, that you do have the courage to stand up and to say something. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Then say something, Jermaine Morris, Barry Axis. Where can folks find you to keep up with you, sir? IG, Twitter, um, Facebook, all that, Barry Axis. And make sure you go get some gear at blackblueprintswithaz.com. I'm Jermaine Morris on uh, Facebook. Every other social media platform is at J Morris CEO. This has been the Say Something Podcast. Bring titillating <laughs> information on an MLK day. Hey, man. Narratives, man. Build hey, your own narrative, man. And until next show, we will holler at you later. Indeed.